Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, River Valley. Everybody good? Come on now, I had a week off. I'm fully relaxed. Here we go. Woohoo! <laughs> I got my son uh, graduated last week, and uh, we had all the all the people in, and and then uh, you know, like the best part of that, all the people left. It was like, oh, it was great. Oh, it was great. <laughs> so we're gonna be in First Kings uh, chapter 19 today. Um, let me start out with a story that kind of helps you understand where we're going today. 1653, uh, Oliver Cromwell is the Lord Protector of England. England has a civil war. He leads it to reunification. He is, he is now the leader of a united England. And uh, so he sits down for his portrait. And uh, the, the, the portrait uh, at first looks uh, Botoxed almost, just smooth skin, you know, just like no blemishes. And so Cromwell uh, gets angry at, at the, uh, the, the artist, and he says a famous line that most, you know, I didn't know where it came from until I read this story. He says, no, 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 go back and paint me warts and all. And uh, he made the artist paint him uh, accurately. And so let me show you uh, that picture. This is Oliver Cromwell, and uh, it, it's, it's actually a miniature, uh, so it's hard to get some detail until you're very close, but there's a bald spot on the top of his head. He has wrinkles. He has a five o'clock shadow, and he has a wart on his, in his cleft right there. And uh, they, they say when you see the picture, it is so lifelike that you can see the wart, and it's kind of flaky, which is gross. And, uh, but, but he painted it. Accurately, this is what he actually looked like, not the first one, which was Botoxed, you know, and smooth and shaved, shaven, even though he wasn't. And he said, I want people to understand who I am and what I look like, truly. And I love that idea because it fits so well with the Bible. The Bible shows the people of God, warts and all. The Bible shows us, we see the great heroes of the faith, of which we are studying one right now, Elijah, and we see them fall. So the title of the sermon is How the Mighty Fall, because we often fall and the people of God fall. We are not perfect even late in our uh, salvation experience. And so we have to, we, we, we want to look at, at the falls of people because uh, the best way that you can learn is not just from your own experiences, but from the experiences of others. And so what happened, we're going to look at this pattern. And also <clears throat> an encouraging statement that doesn't sound like it at first is just this, the people of God often suffer with discouragement and depression. That's a, that's, that, I hope that's an encouraging statement for you because some of you often get discouraged or you're like me, you, you struggle and I have to maintain, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it today, I have to maintain a lot of things in order to, to not go into depression where I have been before. And so uh, it, it, I, I don't want to, it helps us to know like, hey, you're not alone in this. You know, it, Christianity is not just like, how's it going? Just great. Just praise the Lord. You know, and you're like, you're such a liar. You, you, you know, your life is falling apart. I mean, you know, and, uh, and so, so we're going to get to see Elijah in one of those moments. Now, 
recap from two weeks ago, Elijah just had the best day of his life. I mean, the, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. I mean, he stands up for God. He calls down fire from heaven with a prayer. They get rid of all the false prophets. Elijah is riding high. He is on a wave of victory that we read in this text. So he's doing well. But we're going to look today at him uh, uh, basically burning out. And we're going to look at that pattern. And you're going to get to see it in your own life so that you can notice and so that you don't have to go there. You can learn from his examples. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel the queen they are bad, if you want to write bad in the top of your Bible. And so uh, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so uh, severely if I don't take your life like the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. So she's threatening him that she's going to take his life. So verse 3 Elijah became afraid, and he immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. So he laid down, and he slept under the broom tree. So suddenly an angel touched him. The angel said, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time, touched him, and he said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate, and he drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And we're going to stop right there. So I want us to look at this incredible fall, and we'll explain it, uh, from, from the heights to, to just, I mean, the depths of depression that he is in, and he's going to be in next week that we're going to see him, and we're going to look for the pattern. So let me give you uh, uh, three things to watch for. First of all, um, you need to watch for the calendar, you need to watch your calendars for timing, because depression comes in a very specific season. Watch your calendars for timing. And here's, here's uh, the word right here. Write it down. Um, vulnerability follows victory. Vulnerability follows victory. If you are doing well, your job, your marriage, your relationship with Christ, your, your uh, finances. I mean, if things are going okay, then especially if it has been a season of going okay, you can start to feel like success is your birthright. Like, every, like I got it figured out. Those guys over there that are struggling with their money, those guys over there that are struggling with their marriage, those people over there, they don't know how to raise children. Look at, look at my life, and I'm victorious. I've been successful, but vulnerability follows victory. Elijah had a tremendous victory just a few days ago. Now he's incredibly, incredibly vulnerable to discouragement and actually depression. Let me, let me illustrate it for you. Uh, if you are somewhere within my range of life, you are going to love this illustration. All right, here we go. All right. So how many of you, raise your hands, if you know the name Carl the Truth Williams? Raise your hand. All right. He's a boxer. All right. The reason you don't know him is uh, because he fought Mike Tyson in 1989, and he lost in 93 seconds to a KO. All right, that's why no one knows him. All right. 
Now, how many of you, raise your hand, know the name James Buster Douglas? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me explain to you, for those of you who are younger or uh, just don't get cool illustrations uh, like this, all right? So, <laughs> so back in the late 80s, all right, they only had pay-per-view to watch fights like this. And so you and your friends would get together. It was like 80, 90 bucks. Um, and you would all pitch in five, 10 bucks, and you would go to a house, and you would watch Mike Tyson just whip the snot out of someone. I mean, it was, it was amazing to watch him fight. He was just so amazing. And, and you would all, you'd have a friend, like they were about to start and be like, I'm going to go to the restroom uh, before, you know, and then he would come back, and he was like, what I miss? And you're like, the fight. I mean, I mean, you know, because like he would just, he would decimate people just within seconds, you, you know, it was, it was so, and he did that, the, the fight before this, the odds, uh, and this is a fight in 1990, James Buster Douglas was seventh in the world, he was not the number one contender, in fact, uh, Tyson was tuning up with him because he was going to fight uh, Vander Holyfield next, and uh, he was the number one contender, so the odds were 42 to 1 uh, in Vegas, they weren't even taking big bets because Tyson was just going to kill him like everyone else. And so, but James Buster Douglas had trained exceedingly hard. Tyson had kind of skated by. In fact, Bobby Brown, uh, you know, my prerogative, that Bobby Brown, uh, and so, all culture. All right, here we go. Uh, so, uh, uh, said the night before the fight, he and Tyson partied all night. Before the fight, Tyson got no sleep, and he asked Tyson, he was like, don't you need to go to sleep? And Tyson said, I could stay up for five weeks and beat that guy. And uh, he stood up. Tyson's corner man, uh, in, in the fifth round, he got, a, he got a, 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 an eye that started to swell shut. Tyson's corner man showed up, and he didn't have the end swell that helps it go down, and he didn't have ice packs. That's what he was supposed to do. He was like, I thought I was just supposed to stand in the corner. You know, no one had ever hit him before. I mean, you know, and so, so he, he, they had to improvise, and, and this, this is a famous picture of James Buster Douglas, uh, almost, I mean, just a very unknown person knocking out the undisputed, un undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. Why? Because Mike Tyson was victorious. He decimated his opponents until he thought that that was his birthright. And Buster Douglas beat him, beat him fair and square. I mean, knocked him out in the 10th round. You and I are vulnerable when things have gone well. When things are going great, when, when uh, success is at your doorstep. For us, I talked to our staff here a while back. I said, hey, let's be honest. Since, um, since COVID, we've known nothing but success. Man, we, have con we continue to grow. We continue to reach people. You guys are tremendous givers. Our finances are good. I mean, things are going so well. Don't get arrogant. That all the, the reason that that's happening is because we're awesome. And we just show up and awesome happens. I mean, it, it's, it's not true. It's so not true. But it's so easy to think when all you do is win. When all that, that happens is success. We are vulnerable the moment that victory happens. And so the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 12. So if you think you can stand up, be careful. Be careful because you're about to fall. Be careful when you are arrogant and think that all I do is stand. So here's the way I, I wrote it. <clears throat> Don't assume the war is over just because the battle has been won. The war is not over. It wasn't over for... Um, it wasn't over for Elijah. He was close. Like, he had really... I mean, it was the major battle. 
but you still, had, he, you still had others to go in order to win the war. And you and I, until we meet Jesus on the day he comes back or the day we die, we are still to be in the fight. We are still to be pervasive in our thoughts towards him, into looking towards him. And if we think that we've arrived and we're just going to coast into the end of our life or we're just going to succeed because of the old days, it's not true. It's not true, and it makes us extremely vulnerable, and that's what happened to Elijah. So number one, watch your calendar for the timing. He had just had a victory, so he was vulnerable. Number two, watch your brain for its thinking. Watch your brain for its thinking. The way you think has incredibly, incredibly powerful uh, ability to, to change reality, basically, for you. The way that you think has so much to to. to to um, uh, say about how your life happens. And so we see Elijah in this case, and he's like, oh, Lord, you know, she's being mean to me. She's threatening me. Three and a half years they had threatened him, and God had protected him. God brought food by ravens. God had shown up with miracles from heaven. And now the woman says, I'm going to get you, and he loses it. And you want to go, what happened, Elijah? Where's the Elijah we saw in chapter 18? Where's the Elijah that stood up on the mountain and called the fire down from heaven? Where's the Elijah that said, get the prophets and kill them? Where's that guy? Where is he all of a sudden? He's like, oh, God, she's being mean to me. I just want to die. You, where, what happened, Elijah? Well, I mean, where is that guy? Where are you? Well, I'll tell you where. His thinking had gone sour. So here's what I wrote. Threats turn to fear when people are big, but God is small. Threats turn to fear. People threatening you or events threatening you. It gets a hold of you in fear. How? Because the people seem so big and God seems like, like God can't protect you. Well, he's done it for three and a half years, but all of a sudden he couldn't. All of a sudden he was, he was afraid of that. You have to be careful of those. Uh, uh, I, I think we saw it a lot. I mean, um, very few people. Here, here's the deal about fear. Very few people, especially men, okay, especially men, but even women, very few people are going to go, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid. All right, dudes don't say that to each other. If your dude friend said that to you, you'd be like, you are no longer my dude friend. All right, I mean, you, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid. All right, no one says that. We feel it, but we don't express it. You know how most of the time comes out, especially with men? Anger. Anger. We are afraid. We are scared of the situation. And so we come out fight, and we come out harsh on everything. And we, it's almost like we're, we're going overboard to prove that we're not afraid. And anger is a great, great indicator many times for the fact that we're afraid. We're afraid. We're, you're going to see him next week. I mean, he just, he talks to God. And he's like, God, what are, you, what are you doing? It's just this angry tone that we see even with, with God. Be careful. If you find yourself angry, it's, uh, you, you're, you're, you're probably feeling vulnerable. You're, you're probably uh, uh, feeling um, uh, your thinking isn't clear. It isn't re realistic. It's exaggerated. That's what's happening here. He's, he's overestimating what uh, Jezebel can do and way underestimating what God can do. So it comes out in angry. So where does bad thinking come from? Let me give you a side note. Let me give you the four ways that we see in this text that bad thinking comes from. 
First of all, it says they were up on Mount Car- uh, Carmel. They went to Beersheba. That's the north and the south of Israel. It's about 112 miles. And the Bible said he ran. Now, he didn't run for 112 miles, but he ran some. And the rest of the time, he was scooting along fast. But he was walking the entire way. Now, when you walk 112 miles, you are tired. And so physical exhaustion physical tired, not enough sleep, too much exertion is a great way to have bad thinking, is a great way to have your mind confused in in your tiredness. Um, The old adage for pastors is, is never quit on Monday. Uh, because you, you come off of Sunday, and, and sometimes Sundays don't go well, and sometimes they don't like the sermon. And uh, sometimes your wife goes, Right, like, and you're like, okay, I'll try again next week, right? Yeah, you know, sometimes that happens. And so, so you're like, oh, you know, and they griped or whatever. And you, don't quit because you're, you're just tired. You are tired. And so that's what happened with Elijah. Uh, bad, uh, bad thinking comes from physical exhaustion. Number two, we see uh, that the angel had to feed him, and so he was hungry. So he, he, he didn't eat or drink. And we can get bad thinking can come from either bad eating, I think a lot for us today, too much of it, um, or, or just under, you know, not understanding how your body works and how, how to use that better. The one that I think is most interesting is he gripes to the Lord and he says, um, he says, I, I, I'm no better than my, my father's. So those who've gone before him. Um, and expectation and comparison is what's happening here. And it's leading to disillusionment. What's happening is, is God is, um, he has this idea of what should happen. And so sometimes when something, victory happens, we have this idea and, and we think, I, I thought it would feel different. I thought it would be different. And there's this great disillusionment about big days and big events and big, and, and we have to be careful because the only lasting satisfaction is in Jesus it is not in changed or better circumstances. And some of us are, ch- are chasing, if only this would happen. If only I could be married. If only we could be out of debt. If only this. If only, and and that, would, that would be it. That would be great. That would be awesome. And it's not. It's not. You'll think, I'm no better. I, it's, it's disillusioning. Changed circumstances don't bring that type of satisfaction. Jesus does. And he alone. And he can bring it in the middle of bad circumstances. And so Elijah was running so fast, and he, was, and he, he, had, he had lost a connection there with, with God. We have to be so careful that we're not looking for that in our lives. And so uh, uh, when I, I train uh, church planners, and uh, you know, our church back in the day uh, was a church plant. And so it's been fun to watch it. Uh, grow and and honestly we're really blessed here guys i mean we really are really 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 blessed about 95 percent of churches never that are planted never have 200 on any event any time and god has uh, blessed us way beyond that and so i'll say to church planners especially when they come in they're looking oh wow you know all all of this and i'll say you know what it feels like to have a thousand for the first time what and i'll tell them it feels exactly like the first time you were in your living room and you had 10 and it feels like the, exactly like the first time that you had a hundred. It's so disillusioning. If all you live for as a church planner is a bigger number or a bigger stage or more, more people, you're never going to be satisfied. 
It's never going to bring contentment to your soul. Jesus can't let it because then your church is a false idol. He wants you to love and worship and want him only. You uh, Now, make no doubt about it, we're going to continue to reach people, but we don't get our props from that. We get our props from connecting with Jesus and knowing the greatness of who he is. And so we want you to know that too, so we continue to reach people so that you can be one of those. But don't make, it, don't make the mistake of thinking that, well, you know, if, if, if I could be just like this, or if I could have just this expectation or just this comparison, it's, it's disillusioning. It's not true. And, and Elijah's now finding that out. The last one is, uh, is from verse 18 all the way through verse 19. Elijah is on the go the whole time. The way that bad thinking comes is from continuous work with no rest. Bad thinking will come from continuous work with no rest. Now, I am a living example of this one. I grew up, and for whatever reason, I thought to take off uh, would, make, um, would make you think I was lazy. And that bothered me. And so I never, I, in the early days of River Valley, uh, I worked pretty hard most of the time. I didn't take, the first year of River Valley, uh, I, uh, 52 Sundays, I preached 51 of those sermons. And, uh, uh, and, and I just, I, I, I didn't take off correctly. And when the fires hit, uh, we lost, uh, my family, we lost our home in the fire. And I'll never forget thinking to myself, when this is over, I'm going to take a break. And that was my thinking. I remember, when this is over, I'm going to take a break. And, and it destroyed me. It was the worst decision I could have ever made. And, and, and I crashed so hard. I crashed in that season so hard. Uh, I went to, uh, I, had to, I, had to have, I literally had to have Melinda stand beside me. And when we would be talking to people, uh, sometimes it would just, it would overwhelm me. And I, and I know like I was about to start crying. And, and I would just kind of touch her, and she would take over the conversation, and I would just, you know, act like I had to do something and, and leave because I, I was overwhelmed. I went to a, counsel, I, I went to a counselor, uh, and, uh, and, and I couldn't speak. Like, like, I couldn't communicate to her what was going on. She, years later, she goes, I heard you preach, and you're pretty good. She goes, that shocked me. And she said, because the first time I ever saw you, you couldn't talk. Yeah, you know, that's, that's sort of necessary for preaching. And so, and I was, I was, I, I was just so, I was depressed. I was overwhelmed by all the, you know, we, we had insurance things that we had to do. The church, there were 21 people in our church that lost their home and I was trying to take care of them and you know that was kind of that season where I figured out I'm not very good at that and uh and so just a lot of things and it was just continuous work with with no time off and and um it it it, it really and truly it, it was the one of the most dangerous times of, of my ministry because I almost lost it not because I was doing something stupid but because I couldn't continue because I thought I had to continue and so, you know, I was the, the, uh, that was the first time I said, I need a, I need a you know, a vacation. And uh, it, it almost felt to me like at the time, like I was asking for a favor. Hey, I need a vacation. You know, the, the leadership team was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, like we thought you were taking those or what, you know, and I was a little bit, but um, I took some extended time and, and it was, and I hung out with Melinda and my wife taught me how to not work and it's great. 
It is so. If you've ever not, not worked before, you should try it. I mean, it is great. And then you come back and work's a joy. Like, I couldn't wait to preach this sermon this week. I, I could, it was, it's just a joy when you, when you take off. And so, so you've got to learn. And the word here is rhythms. Rhythms. God gives us a rhythm, a weekly rhythm, and that's, that's one day of rest. This is, this is, for most of you, this is your Sabbath. And rest doesn't necessarily, some of you uh, misunderstand, it doesn't necessarily mean like sleeping all day. For some of you, it does. I'm one of those guys. You know, a great day is when you sleep in and take a nap and go to bed early. Oh, it's so good. It's just so good. I mean, I love it. And, uh, and so, so, but some of you, that, but it's, it's, it's different than your work. It's whatever replenishes your soul, whatever, whatever is, is enjoyable to, to your body, brings you true. Uh, fulfillment and so so you ought to have that one day in seven but then you also ought to ought to retreat from time to time anytime you see Jesus at Caesarea Philippi in the Bible he's not working he's on a retreat he's hanging out with the disciples they're just they're having a little little conference there's nothing up there He's hanging out, and so we see that with people. Did you know that uh, Abraham Lincoln, when he is in the midst of the Civil War, there's never been a president that has done as much as Abraham Lincoln because he had a twofold purpose of, number one, keeping the Union together and simultaneously, which he could have done, but it would have meant that, number two, he couldn't have abolished slavery. But he did both, and he worked hard, uh, unbelievable leader. But did you know the last year of Lincoln's life, he went to the theater over 100 times? That's one out of every three days that he was going to the theater. That's why John Wilkes Booth knew he would be there because he was there all the time. Why? Because he knew the only way that I can stay fresh is to not be in the grindstone all the time. I've got to get away. I've got to take my mind off it. I've got to go to a play. And so he saw that. So bad, um, bad thinking comes from you're physically tired or you're hungry, and or you're hungry, and or you have uh, bad expectations or comparison, or you're just continually working and no fun in your life, no off in your life. So what does the angel do? Three times in this text, we see Elijah sleep. Elijah slept, and the angel woke up. And what did he wake him up for? Eat some food. And then he ate some food, and he drank some water, and he slept, and then he woke him up, ate some food, and slept. And, and so we see that. Now, I want you to see this. This is really interesting. We don't see Elijah get replenished because the God, God says, and he fasted and prayed. Nope. He ate a good meal, and he took a nap. Sometimes thinking comes with just understanding our cycle and rhythm and how we can do life. And we are so much better prepared for that by just taking some time off. And so I want to encourage you. We're at the beginning of summer uh, to manage those well. Now, number one, we're going to be, uh, if we're going to heading towards burnout, we need to watch our calendar for timing. Number two, we need to watch our brain for its thinking. Number three, we need to watch our friends for isolation. Watch your friends for isolation. Elijah, on the first uh, part of the trip, the Bible says that he and his servant went together. And then in verse um, somewhere, verse 3, it says he left his servant there and he was all alone. And so he's isolated. 
And so we're going to see God pick that theme up in, in the next couple of weeks. And he's going to get Elisha uh, as a sidekick for the remainder of his ministry. He's going to say, you can't be alone. God says uh, in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for man to be alone. It's, it, this isolation hurts us. Now, I have to, I struggle with this really badly. Uh, really badly. Uh, I am an extreme introvert. Uh, most people, if you see me up here, you're like, no, it's not true. Oh, it's so true. Uh, I, I love being alone. It is, oh, it's great. Uh, I love it. I, I love it. Um, and, and, and so people think, they, they misunderstand introversion. They think that means I'm, I'm shy. Uh, I'm awkward. I'm not shy at all. Uh, and that's totally different. Uh, and so I'm not shy. Like it, people don't bother me. I'm not scared to be around people or go to parties or anything like that. I can handle that. But it's, it's about energy level. And I get energy by being alone. That's, and and it, 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 I, I empty very quickly when I'm around people, and I fill up very slowly. And so uh, almost every Saturday, I, I spend all day alone, uh, basically alone. I mean, I'm at my house, but I do yard work outside. Uh, I have my uh, AirPods in, uh, listening to 80s rock the way God intended. Um, it's, uh, it's great. And, uh, and so, <laughs> and, and I just, I get, I get re replenished so I can come here on Sunday. And that's, but, but it's not good for me to do that all the time. That's bad. And, and I, can, I can overdo it where it's, 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 this, it's this weird thing. It's like I'm full. Now I've got to go out. And so I've, I've got a community group that I hang out with. I've got friends uh, that we want to invest in and invest in more in this next stage of our life as I, uh, we become empty nesters. And, and I want to see this in my life because my friends fill me. They, they, they encourage me. They're, they're good men who love Jesus, and yet I can be real with. It's, it's fun. I, I got to hang out with a, uh, some of them yesterday, and, and I didn't have to be pastor. I just, I'm just Cody. Just call me Cody. Look, I'm, I, I want, that's who I want to be because I, I need you uh, in, a, in, the, in my life, and so I have to manage that. How do we know that, that uh, we're, we're kind of isolated? I think there's a, a good hint here. Uh, Self-pity is a great indicator of isolation. Self-pity. I mean, come on. You can throw a pity party, can't you? I can throw a, I mean, like, the only party that I constantly attend is a pity party. And it is awesome. You know, this, this just, it's like, Lord, I just want to die. You'll see, in, you'll see next time that he says, there's no one else but me. That's not true. It's, it's, but he believe, but he's, he's, he's kind of convinced himself there's a lie. So we're going to talk next week about how to hear from God correctly. Like, you hearing from God. And so, uh, but, um, and so uh, he's, he's convinced he's all alone. He's isolated himself. And, mm, poor, you know, where, where friends pick you up, friends encourage you. Friends, you know, like there's a moment to be sad and then there's a moment to be like, okay, that's enough sad. Let's, 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 let's go out, you know, let's go golf. Let's go hang out. Let's do something. And, and, and he, he, had, he had isolated himself so much that, that, you know, pity became a part of his life. And we need to be careful of this. Now, some of you will say, well, I'm not isolated isolated because I'm married. Well, or I'm not isolated because I have friends or I have a lot of acquaintances. But you know, if you're pitying yourself all the time, you're actually still isolated even though you're around people because you're not letting people into your inner world. That's what's happening, especially with uh, us as men. 
Well, I got lots of friends. Uh, I never talk to them, uh, but yeah, you know, and when we do, we talk about, you know, the weather and the Dallas Cowboys and that's it, you know, you know, nothing deep. And so you're, you're still isolated because you're not letting, you're not, you're not, you don't have a group of friends that you go, I'm, I'm struggling. Like I need help. Can you call me every once in a while and encourage me? Can you, can you come over and hang out? You know, whatever it is for you. And you, you need those people in your life that you can be real with, that you, are, you, you, you share your inner life with. And so God's going to give him a friend in a couple weeks in Elisha. That's what we're going to do on, on Father's Day. We're going to talk about raising up the next generation uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. And so it's a a really interesting text as well. And so God gives him a friend. God gives him a person. God gives him someone in his life. And so you've got to find those. Let those people into your life. Now, Elisha fell pretty hard here, really and truly. Elisha went from, or Elijah, uh, Elijah went from, I mean, on top of the mountain to in this valley, just, you know, kind of almost dreading life. We've got to be careful you got to be careful. Some of us are, are heading there in some ways, and we can learn from this. Now, I also want to say in closing today, here's the deal. All of us have been there. All of us have messed up. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have had a pity party. God, nobody understands me. Nobody likes me. You know, and all of us have done that to Jesus. And isn't God good to listen? Sometimes to affirm, I, I know you're hurting right now. I see that. But the wonder and the grace of Jesus Christ is not that we earn salvation. Elijah is not in heaven because he was perfect. Elijah is in heaven because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is sustaining. Jesus is the one that we, when we are in discouragement or depression, pulls us out and gives us hope and renewal and a fresh word and a new vision and a better tomorrow. Jesus is the answer to the deepest needs of our life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the only one we need. He is the only one who sustains. He is the only one who truly understands. The Bible says he was in every way tempted. He understands what you're going through. And if you've completely messed it up, he understands, and he forgives, and he sets free. So I want to invite you right where you are today to bow your heads for just a moment. Let's, let's talk to Jesus. If you are um, in a good season, I'm in a good season, by the way. Um, things, are, things are going great. Let's start out with some gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If you are not saying thank you right now, you're probably focusing on one area that's not going good, and you probably have about five that are. It's getting hot outside, and we have air conditioning. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe our boss is mean, but we have a job. Thank you, Jesus. We are surrounded by people who love us in this room, even if you came alone today. You are loved at River Valley. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Now, if things are going well, ask God, God, don't let me become haughty or arrogant. Jesus, don't let me be the one who thinks that victory and success is my birthright. 
that the reason I have good things is because, frankly, I'm awesome. Don't let me be that guy. Don't let me be that person, Jesus. Help me to be humble. God, thank you that you've given me these things. I have not earned them. That's the grace of God. If you have some of those things in your life that you see in your life, you feel like you're heading towards discouragement, you feel like you're heading towards burnout, can I offer you a, a, a new prayer? It's okay to continue to pray, God, change this circumstance or do this with this. That's okay. Keep doing that. But can I ask you to add, God, give me more of you during this season so that I don't think a changed circumstance will bring me what I need. Only you can. And today, if you are here thinking that Christianity is some sort of an exchange where you give God a little bit more time by coming on Sunday or a little bit more money by putting some in the offering or a little bit more service by doing something for others and therefore you're going to be into heaven. You are wrong. That is not Christianity. Christianity is that God sees our sin, sees our fault, and while we were in sin, Christ died for us. Jesus saw you died for you and was buried and was resurrected Jesus loves you he came so that you could have abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven today let Christ forgive your sins through his death on the cross let Christ rule and reign in your life as Lord follow him and you will experience adoption You will be a son or daughter of God. Jesus, thank you that we can learn from others. I thank you that you are, in many ways, using this sermon in my life, God, to remind me, don't don't think it depends on me. God, don't, don't head towards that. Jesus, any greatness that is in River Valley is from you and for you only. For your glory, we love you, Jesus. Amen. You guys will stand and let's worship. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.